Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Skate Podcast on weei.com and the radio.com app. Talking Bruins in the NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. Yeah, yeah. With Ken Laird from the Craig Hill Morning Show. That's evidently what Ken Laird wants you to believe. And WEEI.com Bruins writer Matt Kalman. Everything gonna be all right? Place <laughs> him up for some bees talk right now. It's the Skate Pod. Some escape. I'll give it a B. B plus. On WEEI. Holy, this is a big-time show. It is a big-time show. End of the month of April, time for another skate pod, and it's basically another off-season, Calvin. I felt like uh, we get our stride in the off-season, and now it's uh, a strange off-season part two. People are craving Bruins content. You're here to give it to them. Oh, my God. I feel like I have a desk job. I'm on the phone and just emailing people. This is like the ultimate torture for someone who got into this job for being out in the field. Cranky Calvin at home for quarantine is not a good recipe for success. Absolutely. But we have a, another big episode today, and I hope you enjoyed Matt's uh, bonus episodes. Matt, tell folks about the college prospects you, you uh, chatted with real quick. Yeah, I was able to catch up with uh, Nick Wolf and uh, Jack Ashon, and uh, they were good kids um, trying to get through school remotely and get ready for their pro careers, and uh, I think it was a pretty good couple of quick interviews. Wolf is the new Chara, 6'5", is that, what, is that right, on the size yeah, there? Yeah, 6'5", 230, and then Ashon's the new Krug, 5'8", uh, 180 or something like that. The LeBruins are still busy in uh, some capacity. Now, uh, coming up on the show today is the return of Kevin Paul DuPont, Boston Globe columnist. He uh, discussed, uh, well, his opinion is just shut it down. Uh, take hope away, Matt. We'll talk to uh, Matt, uh, to uh, Dupes about that coming up here in just a bit. We are presented by Red River Technology. Technology decisions are not black and white. Think red. Visit redriver.com to learn more. And you can find us, Matt, where? Let's see, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, I use Downcast, pretty much uh, anywhere you can get a podcast. And, you know, if you don't uh, have anything to do for a few minutes, go on there and leave us a uh, some star- five-star reviews and cancel out some of those trolls. The biggest hockey guest of the week came on the Ken Laird Show featuring Greg Hill in the morning. Absolutely. Uh, with Tuka Rask as a part of Brady Week. What would you think of the interview? It was great. I mean, uh, Tuka's... Uh, I think if anyone listens to the, ever inter, listens to interviews with Tuka Rask and still doesn't like him, I, I'll never understand that because the guy is just the most laid back, fun guy. And you know, especially when you're you're accusing him of uh, you know stinking up the bus, that's uh, that's pretty good mild manner for him to take to take, take that right. Has he ever lost it in a post game uh, chat with the media? He, I mean, he's gotten a little maybe a little surly here and there, but I've never yeah. seen him blow up. Right? He's never blown up. He's been surly. I mean, there was one time uh, I asked him. Um, we're looking like five, six years ago when he had lost a couple games. I remember asking if he was in a slump, and he was like, <laughs> and he just gave me the death stare and like said, "No, Matt." And that was like the two-word answer, you know. And uh, but no, he's always, you know, he's pretty even keeled. And the fact is that when people, you know, some people try to say that he's too critical of his teammates, but uh, the goalie, much like the quarterback or the pitcher, is often asked about things that are out of their control, things that happen in front of them, and he gives you honest answers, and that's what you can only ask of these guys, and I'll never understand people that criticize guys for being honest, because that's what you want here. You don't want the cliches, right? So, Exactly. And, you know, he won the the Brady uh, 
note that he had was that he sort of took takes a little bit from Brady's demeanor, and I think you can see that just trying to stay positive and uh, you know be an outstanding, yeah. respectable person. He definitely is that. Yeah, and I think that maybe some of that demeanor though maybe kind of led to this controversy about the retirement because I think I said in the last episode that sometimes he could be flip or he could be kind of nonchalant about things and. Um, you know, very existential about whatever will be, will be, and whatever can happen. So that was taken uh, to be, you know, you know exactly what he meant as far as the retirement. And then we know, uh, you know, that it was kind of blown out of proportion. Well, you're right about that, and I will give you credit for maybe us reading into it too much uh, because that's exactly what Tuka said. But I do want to play the full cut here for people who missed yep. it, and I, and I want you to interpret it because I'm still a little confused. I must admit, here's the full cut uh, from the Great Hill Show. And you, and you brought up the retirement thing, so I might as well. I, I got to ask these questions. Are you considering that, and is that because of that? Because there may not be a season. Like, what's going on with that? No, listen, that's. Uh, I remember this interview, if you can even call it an interview, this this reporter asked me some questions right after practice when I was packing my bag. And all I said was, you know, my contract's up, so every option is on the table. And I didn't, you know, I haven't made any any decisions on any direction yet. Obviously, we're not even playing hockey right now, so that'll be in the future. But, you know, it's, it's definitely not in my mind right now. Uh, just try to take care of the family as of now and go back to hockey whenever that happens and then go from there. I'm sure we're going to have good conversations with, uh, with Sweens, you know, after this season and, and go from there, but I'm only 34, so it's not, it's not too old. So yeah. I might play another year or two and, and, you know, go from there, but I don't want to promise anything either way. Cause you never know what's going to happen. So there it is, Matt. So, so what is he saying? Well, t- I took it. This is the way I interpreted it was that, uh, as Tuca tends to do, it's you know, think anything can happen. I mean, I guess if you're looking back at the the personal personal leave of absence that he took, you know, that was obviously an unforeseen thing. There's there's injuries. I mean, I guess you know, if he had another concussion, he doesn't want to commit to definitely definitely playing beyond next year. But I think the fact that he said uh, he's 34 when he's actually 33, I think that lend that led me to believe he was talking about I'll be 34 when this contract expires and then I will play another year or two. And um, that's not too crazy to think that maybe he takes a two or three year deal after next year and just kind of eases out of this, maybe mentors a young goalie to be his backup. And that, uh, you know, that'll be the best of both worlds for the Bruins and maybe for him too to add some extra money. But I think the immediacy of this, you know, Tuka Rask is thinking of retiring. And, and, you know, I was guilty of it too. Clearly, with such little, uh, little content out there and little to talk about, we had to uh, kind of take this with us. But I think, you know, I said last week too the fact that. It, it got buried in a in a notes column. It wasn't the right. lead of the story at the time, and also the fact that it was also held on to. I mean, if there are two things here, if Tuka Rask had said that to me, I probably I would have written it within a couple of days, and I also would have taken the time to go back to him and say, "Is this you know is this really what you're trying to convey here? Was this what you were trying to convey?" Um, obviously, the, the circumstances made it that no one could do that to get follow up with him, right? So you didn't know. But I'd also love to have known what his what his facial expression was when he was saying it, you know, he, he kind of has that, um, I don't know if it's like an Eddie Haskell kind of, you know, look on his face sometimes when he's talking about things. So, um, but you know, obviously the, he's constantly contemplating his future and it's, it's a good thought to, to think. And, you know, maybe it does apply to some of the other mid thirties players that maybe they're thinking, especially in this time where they're, uh, kind of trapped that maybe they're thinking about different paths of their careers. 
I guess that I agree with all that. He just left it a little murky for me. And I mean, yeah, I think you're right. He's he's anticipating a conversation with a GM that's clear, and he'd like to maybe have one more contract short term. But he doesn't sound like a guy who's definitely writing off retirement 100. Uh, percent He doesn't right. want to be locked into anything, and so you just wonder from a franchise point of view. What's the value on him? What's what's the length of the term? Do you need to get it done before? Does he want to play out another year at Mency? Like that's good. I mean, or do you want to sign him to an extension before he goes into that quote unquote lame duck year? Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think he, he actually said after this season he would start talking about the extension. He'd, he'd be eligible on July one. I think that would be the thing. You know, like I said, I mean the, the concussions, the other injuries, those could come into play. But something you said last week would maybe also factor in. Maybe he's trying to. You know, play a little bit of uh, of a bargaining game here with the Bruins maybe. and say, hey, you know, if if you don't pay me what I want, maybe I'll just go home. So there's, there's maybe there's a little bit to that now that you've heard him. Now that I've heard him follow up on it, um, not that that would be the main thing. I would say that maybe be like a second to third thing in his mind. But maybe you know, you never want to say I'm definitely coming back and then give them the uh, the bargaining uh, the leverage, right? Right. Yeah, the other main takeaway from his appearance, other than his uh, responding to Chara and the farts, uh, was uh, his just pessimism that there will be hockey again this summer. He, yeah. You know, he doesn't feel it. Right. I mean, he's on the right track here. I mean, this is such a a silly game, and I guess we'll get into, into this more when we talk to Kevin. Just uh, This is really a game they're playing to, to like basically keep people's hopes up. Obviously, you have to kind of keep the athletes' hopes up, but, I mean, if you're if you have two if you have a goal – of playing 82 games next season, how are you really going to finish this season, even if it's playoffs? I mean, what is that? What toll would that take on these athletes' bodies, and minds, and the whole organization of these of these teams? Um, you're talking about such a shortened free agent period. How how would that be fair to some of the guys, the Tory Krugs in the world, to not have much uh, time to make decisions, to change their lives, you know, to move if they have to? Um, you're really asking way too much of these guys, and I think we're seeing more and more major events get canceled. I mean, like Tuka said, they postponed the Olympics. That's a pretty big damn deal. Um, they canceled Wimbledon today. They're, at some point, these uh, these owners, and I think in hockey especially, these owners are going to have to come to terms with the fact that this isn't happening. I mean, it, it seems to me like basketball, they could probably figure out a way to just get guys out there because and, and, these guys are, you know, for, for that type of, of sport – and the fact that you can play it anywhere probably helps them. But you know, between the the, the um, what it takes strength wise and, and conditioning wise to play hockey, and the fact that you need to have ice, that that those are two major factors that that are going to differentiate. And you have to wonder at some point if they'll if they'll have the guts to just call it. Well, a couple things there. I mean, what's more important, playing an 82 game season in the owners' minds or finishing the postseason? Because I would rather cut the the next year in half and get the postseason in, even if it's September, October, November. I don't care. Play play it. Play it in December and then start up the next year in January. Well, that's just it. I mean, I, I don't know if it's if it would be fair to the players to do that, though, to have such short off season. Even though you know, because right now they're out, and you could say, well, this is their off season, but it's it's their off season where they're not doing anything. And so, for guys that are used to working out almost year round, and now to just be barely, you know, doing some push ups or some stationary bike work for all this time. Well, give them a couple of weeks. Ha- give them, give them a lead up. Give them whatever, two, three weeks. Yeah. Well, the other part of it that Tuka brought up is that it's so, they're, they're, it's so open ended. I mean, we don't know that it's going to be a couple of weeks. What, you know, what, what leads you to believe that, that anything that you're hearing as far as positivity is anywhere near accurate? Right? Well, no, no. But what about, what about a fall? Cup final, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, so what would you do? You would just play the 
the top two teams? It would just be Boston, St. Louis. Or no, no. I mean, not you go a great assuming everything is is back to somewhat of normalcy. You you go the whole yeah. shebang. In fact, you could, as you point out, you can play these games anywhere. I mean, if it's if it's better in South Korea, yeah. play there. Take right. take your playoff teams there and start playing every day. Why, yeah. why not? I don't know. You know what? The logistics would be. What does the TV deal? Well, first of all, we know what television is, is controlling a lot of it, right? Mm-hmm. Television wants to show the stuff, but at what point will it become cost prohibitive to television to even show it and just say, you know what, let's just pick up with game with game one here at this point? Uh, you know, there's so many financial ramifications that w- we are not privy to, and um, the 82 game schedule might be because well, there's two reasons: one, because the owners want to keep all 82 games of season ticket holders money next year, and two. It's because of the uh, hockey-related revenue that they base the salary cap on. So if you're going to base – already you're, you're probably going to take a hit on next year's cap, although they're saying they're going to at least hold it level. They're not going to drop it. That, that'll be a negotiation between the players and the, um, the player association. But then if you're not paying, playing 82 the next year, that means even less hockey-related revenue. That means a lower cap depending on what happens with escrow. I mean, it could, it could get dicey. They'd rather just start with a full season and, and not have to worry about that. Well, that's a good point. All right. Well, let's ask Kevin DuPont about this, who uh, wrote about it in the Globe a few days ago, and uh, his headline is, it's time for the NHL and NBA to call it a season. And Kevin joins us on the phone here now. So, uh, uh, Kevin, you wrote this a few days ago, your latest piece in the Globe, time for the NHL to call it a season. Uh, got a lot of discussion on, on the Sports Talk Radio side of it as well. What's the feedback you've gotten? And, and for those who maybe have not read it, uh, you want to reiterate your overall point here? Well, I have to confess I didn't listen to talk radio, so I, I don't know on that side. Uh so the story I wrote was that given given the climate and given that we've got no sort of clear path to, <laughs> frankly, anything at the moment uh, in terms of when we emerge, how we emerge from this whole ongoing pandemic, uh, that uh, I just I just I can't see the league, uh, specifically the NHL, but I included the NBA as well. Uh, staging meaningful playoffs. I, I can't imagine they're going to get to these regular season games, which amount to about 15% of the schedule. Um, and then, okay, so maybe they can come up with some cockamamie truncated version of the playoffs. Then that leads to a whole basket of other issues, including player fitness, player readiness. And and one thing I didn't touch on in that piece who who really who would be eager at all to go back in the buildings at this point after what day by day we're we're learning this new reality of of you know science fiction so right. um that's where i now in terms of email i got i would say a preponderance of uh people agreeing i would say that ran 80 to 90% of people agreeing wow. there are a lot of people who just can't see I can't, frankly, can't see having their binky taken away. Uh, <laughs> and 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 a certain part of me, this I, I say this of fighting too. Certain part of me understands it. I understand liking fighting. I understand that you've you've devoted anywhere from w- whatever timeline, you know, a couple of years loving a sport, a lifetime loving a sport. You want it, but that's not where we are. Well, and, and uh, on the talk side, uh, the, to paraphrase Lou Merlotti, I think he's of the binky variety. He's of, you know, don't take away my hope until you absolutely have to. I'll take any version of sports we can get at this point. Matt and I were just talking before you came on about what's the importance of playing a full season next year, if, if even that could happen, 
versus a, a, a half year next year and you play the cup playoffs, you dive back into that in the fall if you have to wait that long or, or November for, for that matter. Do you, do you have any uh, uh, knowledge what the NHL thinks about that? The only knowledge that I have is that they're adamant they want to start fresh, uh, as usual, on schedule next season, which means they want, and, and you can understand this, they've got, for instance, the Bruins are headed to Germany for the end of training camp. They're going to play their first regular season game against Nashville uh, in Prague. Uh, all that stuff's been in the mill for a while, right? Um, and then they want they want their 31 teams, soon to be 32, their 31 teams to play their 41 full home games. And perfectly understandable when you think backwards on that, because that's revenue. That's that's guaranteed revenue for 41 games, guaranteed whatever level they fill their buildings. If this, if, if these final 10 to 12, to, in some cases, 14 home games all get erased, not home games, but remaining games for these teams, anywhere from five to seven home games, that's pure lost revenue. So they're going to be in get back mode going forward for 2021. Get back mean make good on this lost revenue. What I presume now is going to be lost revenue. The, the other part of that is, uh, only 16 teams, and of course, people will laugh at the word only there. Only 16 teams make the playoffs. So 15 of these teams weren't going to get penny one anyway after April 4 or 5. And another eight of those teams are going to be all done after anywhere from two to three to four home games. So, you know, we can sit here and think, oh, we love the playoffs. We want these guys to come back. But to me, the science is dictating now. and the schedule of 2021 is dictating. They're, they're really squeezed into a very, very tight window right now. And my main point, guys, in this story was there's still a lot of people in America who just don't get it yet. Yeah. They, they think, they think we're, we're just waiting for life to come back tomorrow afternoon. It's not happening. If you, if you, if you, if you watch any of the scientists here and thinking mostly about Tony Fauci, you know, they're telling us this is going to be a very long haul. Meanwhile, we've got people, people still crowding places. We saw that fiasco with the Florida beaches. To me, if the NBA and the NHL say it's over, just as Wimbledon did today, Wimbledon was on for June 29 to whatever it was, July 10. Wimbledon's been wiped out. The 2020 Olympics has been wiped out. People, people, with each of these cancellations, more and more people will get it. When, the NBA, when, as I think they will, the NBA and the NHL move to it, more people will understand. There's real weight in that. And Kevin, so you might be a little less uh, cynical than I am. What, what, what is the reason you think that they aren't um, doing what you say and just, and just canceling it? And then they could have maybe even gotten started with their off season, which is a lot of the times it's a lot of the time where they get most of the publicity with free agency and things. I mean, they could have done a virtual draft at the end of June. They could do virtual free agency as we've seen uh, in some other sports. And you know, we saw it in the NFL and just gotten on with it that way. What, what are they holding out hope for here? Well, it's, it's a great question, Matt. And of course the, the easiest answer is money, right? They, yeah. they, they want to do whatever they can do to recapture uh, you know, they didn't even recapture at this point. I'm using the wrong tenses here to hold on to right. this potential lost revenue, right? That, that, that's meaningful income. You know, 50, if you're losing 15% of your gross income, that's real money. So there's that. 
The other thing, and I think you have to give anybody anybody a break here, is that you know no no leagues anywhere in the world were preparing for this. Uh, it, it, the MLB, which is would would just just have started, right? They they really don't have a clear sense of what they're going to do. So to look at two leagues, the NBA and the NHL, have been around a long time. Um, to have this drop out of the sky uh, and not have any sort of plan, I think you have to give them some time. But I think that time I think that time is at hand now. We're I think it was March 11 or March 12. It was March 12 for the NHL. So we're basically three weeks down the road since they pulled the plug. I, I think I think they've had time now to reckon with it, and I think it's time for them to do the right thing. We had uh, Mayor Walsh on our show in the morning, uh, Kevin, a couple of weeks ago, and he made a comment that he had spoken to the ownership groups in town. And I, I mean, I don't think he has much power pulling this, but he was trying to convince them to pl- you know to get back as soon as possible, if for nothing else than just a distraction. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he, he was hinting at in, inter squad games, or uh, do you think there's any merit to that? There'll be any push for you know even you know, of course empty arenas here now, or uh, I don't know. I, we, we were even discussing you know Marcus Smart has has tested uh, positive. He's recovered. Can he now go back on the court with the uh, others who have done so? Do you see any scenarios like that where it's just a slow rebuild in the summer to give people something to watch? I, I'd like to say yes for many reasons. Yeah. Uh, but again, I don't see it. I, you know, I, t- to be fair to Mayor Walsh here, I don't know w- w- where you spoke to in the timeline, but at this point, as we know, as yep. of yesterday, everything is shut down here at least until May 4th, right? That's by the governor's right. uh, decision. So May 4 will be almost two months since the Bruins played their last game. Uh, same for the for, same for the Celtics. Uh, it's you know, and it, it is, it's different state to state. Uh, and uh, of course we can hang up here and, and the feds finally make the decision to shut the whole country down. We're close to that anyway. I think we were, as of this morning, we were 40 of the 50 states where we were in stay at home, stay at home orders. So uh, in, unless there's something I'm really missing here, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, and I, I, I think the, I, I think the idea of playing a game uh, in an empty building, I, I could see that. I could see that, but I think that very quickly would get very old for people watching. Uh, I guess I guess it wouldn't make much difference for people who are listening on the radio. But I, I just I just don't see that as a long term repair. You know, in some ways, this is a t- another topic. You know, I, I, people now investing these last days and watching old games. Right, right. <laughs> Classics. I mean, to me, that's real old fast. Yep. You know, there's only so much of that. You know, games. They weren't all classic guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> Some classic games. Otherwise, it's just old programming. And, right. And we're in a society. In, of course, this is the old guy talking now. But we're in a society that wants the next game. They want the next champion. They want the next tweet. Uh, go, going back on all this old stuff, you know, we're playing in front of empty buildings. I, I, again, I don't see it. Uh, Kevin, we talked a little bit about uh, you, you talked a little bit about money and, and wanting to keep money um, a little earlier, and that uh, maybe changing gears a little bit brings me to uh, the owner of the Bruins and uh, yeah. what's going on with Jeremy Jacobs. I mean, we know what he's done, what they've put out publicly. Um, 
I think you you've you've obviously covered him the whole time here mostly and I know when I was researching my book I read endless articles when he would come out of hiding when he was <laughs> and talk to you right. at times so maybe you have a little more insight into what his thinking is I mean as a businessman and in this climate uh, to get this type of a negative you know lash lashback to what uh, the plans he's he's done. I mean, what do you think he's thinking? What is Delaware North thinking in in taking on this this bad publicity at this time? <laughs> well, the guiding light that I've had for years, Matt, is that always keep in mind every nickel counts on Causeway. Okay. <laughs> so it's it it is always about money. Now, um, this is a very broad based subject. It was my impression that the very not the very first weekend because we were all in shock, but by right. by that second weekend, so 10 days into it, I was of the belief and had been told, and, and, and I think others were told too, that there was a group plan. This is Now, this is specific to the first issue, which is taking care – I'm just going to say taking care of the concessions people. And when I say concessions people, I mean all the event workers, right? Mm-hmm. There was a. I, I was told there was a plan in place. It was ready to be announced. They were working on the release that it was going to be a joint effort between an, a number of parties here, ownership of both teams, foundations of both teams, individual players of both teams, putting up a pot of money and having that done, which frankly I think would have been the best, quickest, and sure. smartest answer. I think. I think anybody watching that even even the most bitter, caustic, uh, cynical sports writer would say, you know, that's a pretty good plan. To, you know, it was going to be a it was going to be a million bucks or a million and a half. They were going to have players signing into it, and that would have been well. It fell apart, and I don't know why it fell apart. Um, and then then the Celtics did their little bit, and then again the Celtics, to their credit, their tenants, they're not owners. Tenants right. of, the, of the building, they're owners of the team, obviously, and then it fell apart uh, you know, on the Bruins side. And ultimately, guys, look what happened: ownership <laughs> themselves, Bruins ownership themselves, ponied up a million and a half more than the, more than the Red Sox, and made that fix right. But even when they did it, they got no good publicity out of it because right. everyone saw it as hand-fisted and miserly and niggardly and all of that. All right. Of that. Whereas if they, they could have come out the first weekend with a third of that and looked like heroes. <laughs> right. That ended up costing them 3X and people are still pissed. So, which speaks to my central point, which I haven't made, that they don't have anyone good on site. That this this whole sham about Charlie being Charlie Jacobs being the guy being the guy in place, you know we're we're twenty years past that now. Hmm. Twenty years he's been here. Come on, you know <laughs> not good enough. There should be a voice there from ownership side who speaks with sympathy and clarity and vision and promise and all the things you want from a from a team owner or leader, they got bupkis, you know, and what, and and what did it cost them? It cost them at least three X. Now the other shoe to fall. And, and this is, this is where I know I'm not going to make, I'm not going to make friends, but this is how I feel that million and a half. So 
within three or four days, they laid off or furloughed a hundred between 100 and 150 right. employees, full-time garden Bruins employees. So I did the quick math on that. The million and a half that they end up pushing into the part-timer event help pool, that could have sustained full-time staff people, the, the, the 100 to 150 we're talking about, for two or three months. Wow. A, a good number of those people got shown the door with one week's pay yep. and two months of benefits. Well, I have to tell you, I don't see ownership in any town, in any sport, be it the Yankees, be it Mark Cuban in Dallas, be it the Canadian teams, which are basically working in a socialist structure. I don't see any of these teams as benevolent. I don't see them any as public trust. Sure. No, that's that's the spin Bob Kraft tries to do. So if I were an event worker, you know, come in, come in for games I want to come into. I'm not on a contract. I just come in because I want to come in. I want to make some extra dough. I, I, I really don't see that they're owed anything, personally. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, I know that's contrary. I know Casper wrote his, his column. I know the hue and cry on talk radio, or so I'm told, is right. you know, you're screwing your workers. The, the guys who are getting screwed are the people who have full-time jobs. Right. Most, I, I'm going to say most of the people who are the concessionaire guys and the ushers. And I like these people, the bull gang. I like them all. Many of them, if not predominantly are there for extra dough. They're not, they're not supporting a family on this money. Right. Right. And I know some of that's wrong, but there's a certain percentage that will, but by and large, that's extra. Now back in the shop, if you will, the garden people, the Bruins people, they're counting on money. They're people who are getting married. They're, you know, they're having babies. Right. They're counting on they're counting on that medical benefit. Uh, as an owner, that would have been my priority. That would have been priority. And and as as an owner, I would have come up with a very quick temporary pot of money uh, for the work for the for the part timers. I could have I, I would have even lived with not having anything. Now that's not practical, given that every other team did it. I realize, but that's where my sentiments would lie in the thing. And that's and that actually brings up what I was th- thinking about a lot this week was that you you were talking earlier about how some teams won't even have playoffs or whatnot and there was only a few games right. left. So as we know specifically to the Bruins, there were six home games left. They're only guaranteed two playoff games, right? Because they right. could have been Tampa Bay, they could have been swept in the first round and had Correct. two more games. So based on eight games being canceled, because you're assuming that hockey will come back at some point. I just maybe maybe I just don't have any kind of a business mind, but it seems to me like if you if you look at your your ledger and you say okay we've lost eight games of revenue and this requires us to not to not pay anyone and to do all these furloughs and layoffs with just one month even to say you know the ones that got the full month of of benefits what kind of business model is that that you can't sustain your business for just at least a couple of months without eight games of revenue. It's a very good question, uh, and, I, and I, I think the answer is somewhat tied to the fact that, uh, and of course, when, when you try to think this through and you, and you don't get right to what you're saying, Matt, people think all of a sudden you're making excuses for them. But I, I do think part of their answer in moving this quickly is it's a multi-billion dollar corporation, Delaware North. 
Right. Their their business has collapsed in Boston, and their business has collapsed across continents. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what I think. I think I think in the immediate they've just because I don't know how they've handled all their other businesses, but I'm of the belief that they've they've cut back worldwide. So I think in this case the Bruins and the Garden employees are suffering directly from. They're ju- they've just b- gone to boilerplate here, which is we're going to start laying people off left and right, because again, it's it's a it's a it's a huge uh, food and beverage business. Well, last one, just from from my point of view, how do you guys think this manifests itself from a fan's point of view? You know, when hockey is eventually back, uh, does it translate mm-hmm. to ticket sales or what, what what happens? I don't think we know. I'm writing about that now for Sunday. Is that the the only model we have for that is Matt? You've lived through some of these, the lockouts. Sure. And you know, it's about it's about ten days into a lockout when you start to hear, "I'm giving up my season tickets. I'm never going back. Screw them!" Right? And what happens? Every they come back and they, they start the games again, including a, an entirely lost season fifteen years ago, uh, lost entirely lost season, lost playoff. And it's been record attendance ever since across the league. So people will always come back. What's different about this, and we've never, we've, we've none of it, and there's really no one live. Well, there might be a handful of people in the country living who lived through the Spanish flu pandemic between 1916 and 1920. We've never lived through this sort of behavior modification. I've certainly never stayed home for three straight weeks. Uh, and what we don't know. And what we won't know for a long time is how this is changing us uh, in terms of in terms of everything, in terms of what we care about, in terms of where we want to go, in terms of what our habits are, how we support teams, how we invest time and all this, all this minutia, right? Feeling worthy expert on the team. I'm a fan. I'm totally invested. I don't know. I, I don't I, I, I do think we'll change. Uh, I think ownership's going to have to be aware of that. Um, and you could argue that that change will mean though that as fans, fans will come back even more rabid. They'll want it more. Uh, I'm of the belief it's going to be somewhere in the middle here, which is people are going to have a, a lifestyle reassessment. This is the adults now. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> They'll have a lifestyle, even though they don't know they're having it, right? I don't think you sit home and you deliberate over your lifetime reassessment. But I think if this is a lost season, as I think it is now, and they go from the spring into the summer into the early fall, and you've been able to live without it, and you've moved on to different things, uh, maybe maybe you're a different person, and maybe you're not as invested. It's all conjecture. I, I, I don't. I don't think anybody can pretend to have that answer because we've never had a time like this. The closest I think we've come in my lifetime is certainly uh, protests over the Vietnam War. Uh, that that was that was culturally changing, and what changed that in terms of perception of the public was the visuals, photography, and video from the battlefield that, that changed public perception here. Uh, and the Great Recession, going through a Great Recession of 
but 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 by right. <laughs> by comparison, the Great Recession of ten years ago, ten twelve years ago, now is barely a hiccup compared to this. Right, and we might have that too. That might, that's another factor nobody could see. Well, that's right. At the back end, we, we, in fact, you we, if you can easily envision if this thing is really going to be a stranglehold here for the next two or three months, we may dro- drop right through through recession and then the depression. Yeah. Well, interesting fodder for a discussion. Thank you very much for coming on, Kevin. It's a, it's a pleasure, and uh, we're looking forward to reading your next piece coming up Sunday in the Globe. Okay, Ken, Matt, always a pleasure. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. There you go, Kevin Paul Dupont of the Boston Globe, and uh, I think he's right. I think we're going to recall this. R- real quick, uh, before you, we uh, double back on any of that, Matt, uh, we were discussing on the show in the morning whether if they do call the season, would the Bruins be awarded uh, a title, <laughs> uh, you know, Asterisk-laden yeah, title or something. Yeah, I, I heard that. I don't, I'm not sure where that's coming from. That sounds like internet, Facebook. Make I I, I, I tried to Google. I, I haven't seen anything where it says that the Stanley Cup gets awarded to the team with the best record. Right. Well, forget about the I cup. Don't. I guess they could hang a yeah. banner of some kind. You know, President's Trophy, whatever. But I think I as think far it's as just that a goes. season. You know, just like in yeah. Kevin brought up the Spanish flu and they just you know they called they didn't award the cup and that was the way it went. I mean, why? I don't think anyone. Uh, Tuca obviously was in that mode. No one wants to uh, win a championship that way, and I don't think anyone would even accept that, uh, anyone with any pride anyway. Yep. But, you know, I did want to talk about what Kevin was saying about uh, the people resetting, whether people would come back. I mean, um, he's been in this longer than me, but I do remember the, you know, obviously the 0405 cancel of the season. And um, it took, he talked about record attendance, but it took a while for that. For that to get back to that, you know, even here in Boston, there were empty seats. Obviously, the team wasn't that great for the first couple of years there, and there were empty balconies and and people angry at the Jacobses. And I still know some people who haven't gone back since then. You know, so mm-hmm. you look at that. I mean, I think the only thing the only thing in the Jacobses' favor, in as far as people coming back, is that um, there's no one to blame here for what's happening, and that's why. You probably, if you're in Jacobs' position, you try to take advantage of that and try to, you know, put yourself in the best light possible. I mean, like Kevin was saying, they wound up putting so much more in that fund than they probably needed to for the part timers. There are teams doing less, but that did it quicker and in a better manner that were able to get themselves some publicity right. uh, in the positive light. And so you wonder how much they can bungle that to uh, to actually make it seem like people are always blaming Jacobs for the for the shutdown. But uh, there will be, I think, I think, A, there will be people just that will be offended by that and will stay away, not in the numbers that you might actually see a dent in anything. But the other part of it is you wonder how much sports in general are going to have to reset as far as whether it's a uh, a recession or a depression uh, financially is what who's going to be left to spend the money that they're asking on these tickets. Right. Totally. So does, does does that have to reset in terms of. Okay, now player salaries have to reset, and then ticket prices have to reset. And or are they going to be willing to play in empty buildings where people just, no matter how much they still love the sport and want to go, are they going to be able to afford to go? So, yeah, what's the revenue split in the NHL? How much? How dependent are they on fans? Well, it goes fifty-fifty, but also the players pay into escrow. So I know Bob McKenzie just tweeted out, and I'm sure this is boring the hell out of people. But you know, for the eighteen nineteen season, the owners took back about ten percent of the twelve percent in escrow that was paid. So the players only got 3% of what they were putting in two and a half to 3%. So um, that's, so that's, you know, that's what they're talking about for the next, for this season into, into next year, what the revenue split might be. It's going to be so far down. 
the players, the, um, without a renegotiation, the players won't get back a lot of that uh, escrow. So when you're talking, say, Tuka Rask, seven million, you know, take ten percent off of that right off the top. He's not making that. So, um, and it's, it's going to have to be in greater numbers because who's who's going to pay for these? Never mind for a luxury seat or a luxury suite. What about even the balcony seats are so expensive? And this is not just Bruins and Jacobs, right? This is 31 teams. I mean, it's it's. I've looked to, when I've traveled with with my family to go to games. You look at the ticket prices. Just we went to a game in New Jersey this year, and it's just mind-boggling what uh, what they charge to go to a game in a place like that. So yeah, uh, yeah, you know, maybe this is the great reckoning. Maybe this is where these athletes have been living high off the hog for all this time. And people always say, well, why does why does a baseball player make more than a school teacher? Or you know, you look back to the times when the players and the sports writers made the same amount of money. Uh, maybe this is a market reset for everything. Very interesting. We'll be continuing to cover this, of course, because that's all we got. Speculation about how <laughs> things exactly. will look on the on the other side of it. Uh, just to wrap up, another good bonus pod from the Cowman, so check that out. Uh, yep. Not only uh, that, but the story at WEI.com, Manny. Yeah, we had, uh, obviously, I tied on the podcast, Nick Wolf and Jack Ashon, but also I uh, wrote a little story about the uh, how the Bruins pursue their college free agents, uh, the three guys that... Uh, are in charge of that. The Bruins have done great with that, clearly, with guys like Carson Kuhlman and Tori Krug, and now uh, these two guys. So uh, hopefully everyone gets to uh, WEI.com and uh, takes that in. All right, be good, Matt. We will talk to you next week, and uh, who knows? Maybe we'll have big news. Maybe it'll be the same. <laughs> we'll be in the same boat we have we have been in here for the last couple weeks. But we'll definitely try to get more big guests, because everyone's available. You've got that. See you, bud.